The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. Joining us this week on the show is Chris Castle. Let me tell you about this guy. He is an Austin-based entertainment lawyer, and he's also a music industry commentator. His work's been featured recently in the New York Times, Variety, Hypebot, and more. Earlier this month, he wrote about making streaming payments more equitable for artists, particularly indie artists like you, through the use of what he calls an ethical pool royalty payout model. We talked all about this last week. It was awesome. You can find out more about his work by visiting ChristianCastle.com and by following at MusicTechSolve on Twitter. Chris, thank you so much for joining us this week. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Let's get right into it. Can you start by telling us in broad strokes... How are artists paid when their music is streamed on Spotify or Apple Music or one of these platforms? And how would your ethical pool model that you proposed change that? So there's a really simple explanation for why artists don't make very much money from streaming, which is that you take a monthly revenue number uh, that the service makes, you divide that by the total number of streams that were streamed on the service during that month. And that becomes your per stream rate, right? So you can see that as the number of streams increase, if the revenue doesn't also increase and preferably at the same or a greater rate than the number of streams increase, um, you are going to have an ever declining royalty rate. And that's just the math. This is high school algebra. Yeah, even really. lawyers like us can understand it so far. <laughs> yeah. In other words, if you have a thing that you're dividing by another thing, and if from month to month the thing that you're dividing is not increasing, but the thing that you're using to divide it with is increasing, then the result is always going to be less over, over time. So that becomes kind of an issue when 75% of the industry revenue is coming from streaming, right? This now becomes kind of a, a problem uh, for a lot of people. And the reason it's a problem is because the way that is structured, that's essentially when you look at it in the big picture, a market share allocation. And what that means is that the big labels and the big indies will always make the most money in that allocation. And this sets aside the fact that those labels um, have leverage when they negotiate. So they will get um, bells and whistles in their deal, like per stream minimums, um, limitations on what deductions can be taken to get to the revenue number, um, things like that. What that means is that when a subscriber, let's say, because it's easier to, to understand with subscription. Um, when a subscriber signs up for a service and they listen to music, that subscriber almost invariably believes that what they're listening to is where their money goes, right? 
And that's not true. So if they if they come into it and they say, you know, I want to support my favorite local indie band in my town that has, you know, busted their hump to get tracks up on Spotify, they may think that they're supporting that band. And it's not like the band's not getting anything, but the band, you know, who might get 5,000 plays in a month compared to Ed Sheeran, you know, who might be getting, I don't know, 500 million plays in a month. Right. Right. Uh, is, is just not going to get, you know, any kind of meaningful piece of that money. So this is why you see a lot of these complaints. Um, Zoe Keating, David Lowry, you know, these kind of people, Blake Morgan, you know, there's lots of them out there who have disclosed what their payments are and have complained that their payments uh, are low, very low. And not only that, but the Tricordis, for example, which is Lowry's blog, has posted um, evidence in um, Digital Music News has also covered this, that over time uh, they can document that streaming rates have gone down. So you get in this trick bag, right? And so it's kind of a problem for the fan, and it's also a problem for the artist. If you do what, what Sharky uh, Laguana uh, calls, who's the Creeper Lagoon guy who, who has really taken uh, this, uh, he calls it user-centric royalties, uh, taking that on, um, what he calls the big pool. So let's, let's call the status quo the big pool method, right? Right. So if you want to have an alternative to the big pool method that allows the fan to feel like their money is going where they want it to go and the band to feel like they're getting a, a, a fairer share of the pie, then you have to find some way for those two to meet at a market clearing rate uh, so that there's you're essentially making a market for the niche artists at that point. Um, so, so just to help me understand the big pool yeah. model – Okay. I'm a Spotify user and if I do and if I pay my monthly subscription and I do nothing but listen to my favorite indie band for the whole month, I would think that everything I just paid for that month is just going to go to my favorite indie band cuz that's all I'm listening to, but in reality very little of it will because what's going to happen is my monthly subscription fee is going to get combined with all the other fees and then, you know, it's you know, my favorite indie band is only going to get a small proportion based on how many times everybody has listened to that favorite indie band versus all the streams as a whole. Correct. Right. Yeah. And that's not clear to most fans. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I imagine most fans would be surprised to hear that. Yeah. And that's so, absolutely true. And so how could, it, <laughs> how could it work differently with like user centric or what you call the ethical pool model? So um, my, my ethical pool model is a little bit different than the typical user centric model. And one reason for that is that, if you try to combine the user-centric or ethical pool method uh, with the big pool method, that becomes an accounting nightmare and, and will not be efficient and nobody's going to want to do it. Because what that means is you have to have some way to allocate not only the subscription that goes into, the, into, any, into a pool, but you also have to have a way to um, – divide up that pool, right? So you've got two sort of prorations going on at the same time and it just makes your head spin, right? So no one's going to do that. So what I have proposed is um, two levels of opt-in. The first is the fan. So when the fan first signs up for the service or subsequently, if this is implemented, decides they want to participate, 
in the ethical pool, then they will click a box and all the money that they pay will go into a separate pool on them. And it could be, could be divided up essentially the same way. It's just that you start with a different number and you mm -hmm. only divide by a certain, by a, by a certain number of artists who have also opted in to the ethical pool. So that's the second opt in level, right? So what you have at that point is you have the fan saying, okay, I now know that all my money is going to the artists that I care about, right? Um, all the artists who opt in say, I'm going to forgo whatever micro pennies I would have gotten from the big pool. Which isn't going to be I'm much for them anyway. It's not, yeah, have virtually no effect on them. And, um, and then I'm going to get a share of the ethical pool. Now, the question comes up, um, as you get more artists who opt into the ethical pool, you know, are you kind of back in the same place? And, you know, that's an issue. I think you have to kind of, uh, understand that there's not in this format for the big services, there's never going to be, I don't think anyway, a Patreon type model where there's like a one-to-one -one transfer. All those, if you really want to do it and the artists are, you know, have their material up on Bandcamp or, you know, Patreon or, or some other direct fan site, that's always possible. There's nothing that prevents that. But if you want to participate in the big service, then you're either going to have to settle for, um, you know, an infinitesimally small and ever smaller share of the pie or do something along the lines of this ethical pool idea where you say, I'm going to, I'm going to throw in my lot with these other artists who like me have opted into this and with the fans that have also opted into it. If you want to find out more about the ethical pool solution, you can check out Chris's article. It's called arithmetic on the internet, the ethical pool solution to streaming royalty allocation. You can find it online. It is a really cool read. Um, I'm, I love this idea, and I think ultimately this could be a way to bridge, you know, the funding problem that a lot of the you know middle class musicians have on these streaming platforms. Uh, I would be a little pessimistic about implementation. You know, the the Spotify's who you know the major labels that you know have a very close relationship with Spotify and you know own pieces of Spotify, they have an incentive to keep things just the way they are because they like all the money going into a big pool and then going towards the 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 playlist heavy artists that at the top and so i mean how how would you uh, how do you sort of feel about how the the streaming services would go for something like this is this something that's realistic well i think it's realistic things that will have to happen there are a few things that'll have to happen one is i think the fans need to be educated that this is what's happening with their money because most fans have no idea that their money goes to pay for music that they do not listen to by artists who they don't care for, <laughs> right? That'll come as a big surprise. So if they start to learn about this, in other words, it's not just a bunch of artists complaining that they're not making very much money, but there's actually a business model in place that guarantees not only are they not ever going to make very much money, they will always make less money over time. Right. That's a startling thing for most people to get their heads around. So I think once that starts to happen, the alternative is 
um, I don't want to be a subscriber to that service anymore. Right. So if my alter, if my choices are, you know, I, I cut my subscription or I, uh, uh, find, you know, another way to get the music, you know, or, and find another way to get the music, then I think I'll do that. Right. And once they start getting the cord cutter momentum in place, that's going to be kind of a big deal because the, the one thing that the streaming reality depends on, just like any other subscription uh, company in our economy, right? And there's a bunch of them, right? Uh, it's really kind of like a, 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 um, a sector of the economy now, subscription-based services, whether it's Netflix or Amazon Prime or whatever it might be, music or otherwise, right? Uh, so once the, you've got all the subscriptions going forward, the thing that the service really has to do is keep people subscribing, right? So once they start to understand that people may unsubscribe, um, that will start to get their attention. So that's one way to do it. That's a little little amorphous and heavy-handed, but it's, it is definitely one way to do it. And just anecdotally, when I see tweets and various discussions about this, uh, with fans, I, I think they they um, they definitely have that reaction once they know what's going on. As a matter of fact, the, the tweet that I start my article with is from a fan. I'm tired. I'm sick of my money paying for crap. <laughs> 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 so I think that kind of says it all, you know, right there. <laughs> but um, I think what you do is you would go to Apple and maybe Spotify, um, and you would say. Um, let's try this. You know, I've got these hundred artists who want to do it and, um, we want to make it available to our fans and we'll push it out and we'll drive fans, you know, towards this, um, probably some survey data, you know, uh, actual, um, uh, well proof, you know, or, or certainly evidence that, um, fans would react in that way. Uh, or react positively to it, uh, and do or, and, and don't know that it's going on. and don't like the fact that it is going on once they find out that it is. Um, I think these are all ways to get their attention. Let me give the listeners that article title one more time. It's Arithmetic on the Internet, The Ethical Pool Solution to Streaming Royalty Allocation. Uh, check it out at christiancastle.com and also follow him at Music Tech Solve on Twitter. Chris, this has been illuminating. It's always good to talk with another lawyer. Uh, one last question before we let you go. Do you have any last tips to share with the indie artist listeners out there to help them move their careers forward? Well, I think the, um, the main thing uh, that you need to do at this point in, our, in the evolution of our business is make sure that you are registered in these various collectives um, so that you can collect money that is owed to you or they'll know who to pay. Uh, because that is one of the problems that you have. I mean, I can't tell you, I'm sure you've had this experience as well, Ryan, but you know, it, you know, uh, when I do a client intake and I have a little checklist and I say, so are you affiliated with ASCAP, BMI or, or sound exchange or, and they'll go, well, I don't need to be with sound exchange cause I'm an ASCAP. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, no, you know? And so you need to get smart about all this stuff and make sure that you register. There's folks at Sound Exchange, for example, who, and that's a big one because a lot of this money does flow through Sound Exchange. And um, 
if you're not registered with sound exchange, you're just not going to, you're just not going to get the money and someone's going to just take it, you know, and, and, and it'll go in a black box and you'll never see it. Uh, and the thing about the music modernization act that everybody should understand is that we now have a European style black box for songwriting. And what that means is that if they can't find you, once this collective gets up and running, and they seem to think they can get this done in two years, which I don't, but you know we'll see. Um, once this collective gets up and running, if that collective doesn't know where to pay you, then your money goes into a black box, and after three years, um, it gets distributed out on a market share basis, which is the way it's done in Europe, right? right. We've never done it that way here. Um, and so if you've signed a publishing deal, a U.S.-based publishing deal, um, in the last, I don't know, 50 years, <laughs> you need to go look at your deal and see what it says about allocating black box revenue, because it probably, if it's in there at all, the give is almost always outside the U S and that's the way it's been historically. Um, and so no one ever really thought about it and they didn't really have a standard give. And so most people didn't really fight about it because nobody thought there'd ever be a blanket mechanical in the United States, right? There hadn't been one for a hundred years. So why would there be one now? So now we have one and now we have this black box problem here. So just be sure you're registered, you know, in all these different places so people can find you. And I would, you know, it's expensive, but I would go ahead and register um, your song copyrights too. Uh, with the copyright office, just file a copyright registration. Oh, absolutely. Because until they get to a system where, um, I mean, you do that for a number of different reasons, but the, but the basic reason that you do it is because that prevents the service from being able to say they couldn't find you. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. And that's because that, what, what this all sort of turns on is, um, whether the service, after using reasonably diligent efforts, can actually find you anywhere um, to pay you. And if they can't, then your money's going to go in a black box, and that'll probably be the last you ever see of it. Yeah. So I, I, I start, know. I'm compelled to think that the this music licensing collective that's come about from the Music Modernization Act is going to be the the next of the, you know, things you have to do. Like, you know, everybody says you got to always register your copyrights. Now you got to make sure you're in the music licensing collective or you know, there's a very good chance that you might not get paid for the work that you're doing. Uh, Chris Castle, everybody, thank you so much for being on the show this week. I really appreciate you making the time for us. My pleasure. Thank you, Ryan. And we thank you all for listening to the Break the Business podcast. See you next week.